Well, hey, we are continuing now in week two of our new topical series. So if you're a guest with us, I say topical because I typically preach through a book of the Bible, uh, but we're doing a little different right now. We're going through something a little more topical called home life. And so we are talking about what it looks like to glorify God in our homes and how we spend our time at home, no matter your season of life or your stage of life, whether you are single, married, it doesn't matter, right? However you spend your time at home matters to God. So last week, we started this series by talking about how we should model our temporary earthly homes in light of our permanent heavenly home. So in Matthew 6, chapter 10, uh, we really see Jesus here giving us a model prayer. And in that prayer, this should be our prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I talked last week about how, you know, we should, we should really say that. We should pray this prayer that whatever is true in heaven, whatever is God's truth, would, that his kingdom truth would be real in our own home. So you could even pray that prayer like this. Lord, would your kingdom come, would your will be done in my home as it is in heaven? So really what we're asking God to do in that prayer is to bring what is eternally true, to bring his truth into our homes and to let his truth permeate and direct everything we do in our homes. So last week was kind of that 30,000 foot view of that truth. So this week and each week moving forward, we're going to be very practical, very topical. We're going to talk a lot about our personal home life. We're going to talk about marriage next week. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about what it means to rest. We're going to talk about stewarding the finances that God has given us. But first, today, we're going to talk about our homes as a place for ministry to others. So before we dive into that, I want to pray and ask the Lord to really give us open hearts as we listen to his word and as we think about how we can better use our homes as a place of ministry to others. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, again, we're so thankful that we get to be here today to worship you. So Jesus, we want this to be about you. We don't want this to be about ourselves. We don't want this to even be about our church. We want this to be about you so that we can align our hearts and our minds with your kingdom so that your kingdom can come into our lives so that your will can be done in our homes. So Jesus, I pray that you would give us such clarity today and such understanding by your Holy Spirit speaking through your word. Would you work your word and work the gospel deep into our hearts so that it actually changes us? Let us be receptive to that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you ever watch the show House Hunters on HGTV, uh, you see people, you know, they've moved to a new city uh, and they're looking for homes. And so they usually narrow it down to three different homes that they're thinking about buying. And it's, it's kind of a fun show. You know, you get to see how people, uh, basically, well, basically the show is about 
marriage. It's the husband and the wife arguing about, you know, um, <clears throat> what they really need and, and how big the man cave needs to be and all that good stuff. But, but one thing that seems to be pretty consistent uh, in the show House Hunters is when they are looking at the kitchen space and the living space, you'll often hear them say, oh, this would be great for entertaining guests. Right, And so they're imagining just having all their friends and, and kind of a big party and lots of good food and all this great stuff. And hey, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a great space for entertaining guests at your home. That could be a good thing. But entertaining is not a biblical concept. However, hospitality is a biblical command. Look at this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome and he tells them, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints, that's Christians, right? The needs of the Christians, and seek to show hospitality. Peter, the Apostle Peter, says something similar in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Christy and I, we like to watch the show Last Man Standing with Tim Allen. And, uh, you know, Vanessa, his wife, she'll invite neighbors over for dinner. But Tim, or Mike is the name on the show, he'll find out about it and be like, oh, why did you do that? Like, I don't want to spend time with people, right? The home is about me, right? He's always grumbling every time they have their friends or their neighbors over for dinner. But that's not the attitude that Paul and Peter are talking about here. The Bible calls Christians to be hospitable people. And we're going to see why that is today. First, I want us to think about this. Think about our vision statement, our mission statement here at Kernan. So here at Kernan, this is, this is what we believe God wants from us. Kernan exists to bring glory to God by making disciples who essentially do three things. Worship, with authenticity, walk in community, and witness as we go, as we go out and live our lives. That's what we want to do as a church. That's what we believe God is calling us to be as the body of Christ, as the family of God. We want to make disciples. We want to make disciples as Jesus has commanded us to do in the Great Commission. So that's our mission. But here's the thing. You're only going to spend a few hours at best each week in this building with all of these people. Now, depending on how long I preach, right, that varies from week to week. But here's the thing. As long as we're all in here together for just an hour or two, that's not enough. That's not enough to really pursue this mission, which, by the way, this should emphasize how important it is to be here, right, each week for worship because we only have this small amount of time each week to be together. So that's why we do need to prioritize church attendance, right, being here together. But most of our time as a church each and every week is going to be spent outside of this building, probably in our homes. Now, some of you are more homebodies than others, right? I'm, I like to be social. I like to go out. Uh, and, and our family to go out to dinner or something like that. Christy likes more to stay at home. So, you know, we, we uh, debate that often, right? Should we go out or should we stay at home? Now, you're probably somewhere on that spectrum as well. Do we stay at home? Do we go out, right? 
But the bottom line is most of us spend a lot of time in our homes each week. So that means that in order to make disciples who walk in community and witness as we go, we're going to have to intentionally leverage our homes for the advancement of God's kingdom. We need to start looking at our homes differently. They're not just a place of refuge for us, though they may serve at that, and that's okay. But could we start to see our homes as a place of ministry to others, to those inside the church, our own church family, and those outside the family of God, unbelievers? So if you're a member of the kingdom of God, then you could think of your home this way. Your home is really kind of like an outpost for God's kingdom. It's like an outpost of the church. Look at this in Matthew 5. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about Christians interacting and living in this world. And in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, he says to the Christians, to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the church, the body of Christ, is like a city on a hill, so then maybe our homes should be like a lamppost in the neighborhood or in your building or your complex. If you live in an apartment, your townhome, wherever it may be, your home should be a light in that place. It should be a place where you strategically use the resources God has given you to bless others, to welcome people in, to show them who is the true light of this world. So let's answer this question today. Again, we're going to be very practical today. How can we use our homes as a place to minister to others? First of all, as we've kind of already mentioned here, let's show hospitality to our own church family. Show hospitality to your church family. You see, if we're going to live up to the vision and mission God's given us, if we're going to make disciples who walk in community. And what does that mean, by the way? That means that we're growing in our faith, we're walking with the Lord, but we're doing that with other Christians, right? So we need that. We all need to be growing and maturing in our walk with Jesus, but we need to do that together. God designed discipleship to be a team sport. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to make disciples who walk in community, then we're going to have to open up our homes to do that well. We can do it maybe adequately by only interacting with people at church on this campus. But if we're going to do it biblically, and if we're going to do it well, we've got to open up our homes to one another. That's exactly what the first Christians did in Acts chapter 2. This is really fascinating. As you read along on the screens, I want you to notice just the enthusiasm. You can sense it. You can feel 
The motivation and the enthusiasm that these first Christians in the first century had after Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, he gave them this great commission to continue to spread his good news, the gospel of who he is and what he's done for mankind. And he gives that to them and they take it and he gives them the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them. And the next thing you know, You see these Christians laying down their idols. You see them laying down the sin that clings so closely to them that would hinder them or distract them from opening up their homes. You see them humbling themselves and laying aside any selfish motivation because Jesus has saved them and rescued them from their sin and given them eternal life. And so their prayer is, Lord, would your kingdom come and your will be done in my house? As it is in heaven, and look at this. This is what that does when you adopt that mindset. Verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread, where? In their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was contagious. When you humble yourself and you lay aside your selfishness and you start to see your house or your home or your apartment or your dorm room as a place, an outpost of the church where you can serve the Lord, where you can serve others. When you start to see the opportunity that God's given you to really look at your surroundings as a true mission field. The Holy Spirit works through that. He works in his word as you share and with others the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We would call this a revival. We would call this a movement of God. Why don't we see that today? Why don't we see that as often in today's world? It's easy for us. To point the finger when we turn on the news and say, oh, well, it's those other people. They're so bad that we can't win people to the Lord. They've just corrupted everything and we can't, we can't do it. What nonsense. These Christians were living under the threat of persecution from the Roman Empire. And God was adding to their number day by day because they simply listened to the word of God. They opened up their homes. They welcomed one another. And the unbelievers around them started to take notice. And they started to realize that there must be something to this Christianity. There must be something to it. Because these people love each other like no one else in the world does. They sell their possessions and help those in need amongst themselves. They share all things in common. They love one another truly and put the interest of others before their own. A watching world will notice when Christians actually live like Christians. But when we go into our homes after work and close the garage door behind us or lock the door in our apartment and we go in there and just turn on the TV and zone out and never have anything to do with our neighbors, 
never have anybody from church over, of course the world, of course the world will never notice your Christian life because you're not sharing it with anybody. It was contagious. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Listen, pastor, I don't have the space. I don't have the space to host people over at my house like I'd really want to do. I'm not a good cook. Listen, my answer to that is, I mean, how much space do you need to pray with someone or do a Bible study? And hey, there is always Pizza Hut. You know what I mean? It's good. Okay, just order. You don't have to impress somebody with your cooking. It's okay. I believe that every Christian, no matter what stage of life you're in, can show hospitality first to your church family. So whether you live in a dorm room at UNF, maybe an apartment with roommates, a townhome, a house in a neighborhood, how much space do you really need to have a Christian friend over for dinner or for coffee? How much space do you need to do a Bible study with somebody? You know, I think many of us don't have each other over to our houses because we think it involves too much work, right? Hey, let's be honest. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it does involve too much work if your goal is to impress people with your neatly ordered home, your great cooking, right? But I think as Christians, we need to move away from that worldly mindset of, like I said earlier, entertaining. Christian author and speaker Jen Wilkin, she says this about the difference between entertaining and Christian hospitality. This is really good. Listen to this. She says, entertaining involves setting the perfect tablescape after an exhaustive search on Pinterest. It chooses a menu that will impress and then frets its way through each stage of preparation. It requires every throw pillow to be in place, every cobweb to be eradicated, every child to be neat and orderly. And should any element of the plan fall short, entertaining perceives the entire evening to have been tainted. Entertaining focuses attention on self. She says hospitality. Hospitality, Christian hospitality, picks up the house to make things pleasant, but doesn't feel the need to conceal evidences of everyday life. It allows the gathering to be shaped by the quality of the conversation rather than the cuisine. Hospitality shows interest in the thoughts, feelings, pursuits, and preferences of its guests. It is good at asking questions and listening intently to answers. Hospitality focuses attention on others. Entertaining obsesses over what went wrong. Hospitality savors what was shared. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to bless. I think that's so true. Here's what this boils down to, okay? You're like, man... This might be the easiest sermon application I've ever had. All I have to do is invite my friends over for lunch, right? <laughs> so I'm making it easy for you, right? Here, but here's what this boils down to, guys. This isn't just about getting together and having a good time. Though that's great. Here's what we need to realize as a church. We need each other. We need each other. Life is too hard and this world is too crazy for us to think that we can try to live the Christian life isolated away from our church family. Because we are in this world together. 
as the body of Christ, as the family of God. And when those hard times come, when those difficult conversations are happening in our homes with our lost family members or at work with our coworkers, and we don't know how to navigate it, we don't know how to respond, we need a Christian brother, a Christian sister, Christian friends in the church who we can call and rely on, who can be there and say, I've got your back. This world is too short, too temporary for us not to think and live this way. So some of you need to humble yourselves and realize, you know what? I need to get to know my church family better. I need to push myself a little bit and get out of my comfort zone just a little and actually make friends with people at church. It's one thing to be friendly. We're good at that. But it's another thing to actually be friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, Apostle Paul says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The body he's talking about is the body of Christ. He says later on in verses 26 and 27, he said, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He then says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, listen to this. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's the goal. We're growing into Christ, looking more and more like him as we live, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We become healthy physically by eating the right foods and having the proper exercise. You know how you become healthy as a church body, the body of Christ? By building one another up in love. So, let's get practical. What are some, just, these are just suggestions. How you can have somebody in this church over to your house and really start to form Christian community really start to form those friendships. All right, here's some practical suggestions. Just invite somebody over for dinner or coffee, okay? I prefer my steak medium well, just letting you know. <laughs> invite somebody over for dinner or coffee, all right? Number two, hey, you got a project around your house? It's not weird to ask somebody to come over and help, right? It's not weird at all. If you have something that you need to take down or something that you need to build, something that you need to remodel a little bit, ask a Christian friend to come over and give you a hand. It'd be a great time to spend time together. Number three, if you've got kids, have a play date, right? If you're a stay-at-home mom, ask another stay-at-home mom to come over, let the kids play. You guys have some coffee and talk. See what's going on in your life. Number four, have a game night, right? Just invite some friends over, play some games. Listen, I understand you're like, what does this have to do? Listen, these are bridges. These are bridges. These are gateways to Christian community. It's not about playing Monopoly together, but if Monopoly helps, if it helps build a bridge between you and another person in the church so that you can actually form a friendship, then by all means, roll the dice. So since we're all here together right now as the family of God, all right, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and say, it's okay if everything's not perfect when you invite me over for dinner. Okay, just go ahead and do that.
right? <laughs> wow, y'all really took me up on that. All right. That's good. Okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we see it's a biblical command. Show hospitality to your church family. But secondly, let's show hospitality to unbelievers. Let's use our homes as a center of mission, as a base for the gospel to be spread. Through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has implemented a rescue plan. He's implemented a rescue plan to save sinners from having to face the judgment of God at the end of time. And you know what this plan is? After Christ ascended to heaven, you know what the plan is to get the good news to everyone? It's you. It's me. It's you. It's us, the followers of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. But listen to what he says. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And that was a word for, at this time, non-believers, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, when Christ returns, if we're truly living out what the Bible tells us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe some will be attracted, just like they were in Acts chapter 2 that we read earlier, to the passion and the joy and the truth of Jesus Christ in us. How we live in front of a watching world matters. So let's be intentional. I love the intentionality that the Apostle Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Listen to this. He's so, he's so intentional and strategic with trying to reach all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life. He hasn't, he hasn't put any borders up. He has put up no barriers to what race or ethnicity or social status he is willing to reach. And so listen to what he says. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He's talking about winning them to the Lord, right? People trusting in Jesus, right? Verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Here's how he summarizes this. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all. Not so that I can Put another notch on my list, not another checkbox on my list of, of who I have brought to Christ and feel better about myself. He says, I've done it all. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul wants to share 
eternal life with others. He's not just concerned about himself being saved from the judgment of a holy God. He is concerned about everyone from all walks of life experiencing the goodness of God for all eternity. He wants them to share in that. And so he is willing to sacrifice his comforts. He is willing to sacrifice his resources and be a steward of what God's given him so that he might become all things, all people. You know, if we really try to live that way, I want to warn you, it, it, it may be a little easier in many ways to invite our church family over and really build friendships, right? But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the truth. This is difficult, but it is not impossible because it is not ultimately dependent on you. As we heard Jonah cry out, salvation belongs to the Lord. God is the author of salvation, but you are his messenger. And it may take a while as we're trying to reach unbelievers around us, open up our homes to them, have them over for coffee or dinner. It's a process. Author Randy Newman in his book, Mere Evangelism, excellent book, by the way, on sharing the gospel with people. He talks about the concept of pre-evangelism. In other words, it's the idea that it may take, he says, a wide array of conversations and actions that pave the way and build plausibility for understanding and reception of the gospel. In other words, it may take a dozen, it may take a hundred conversations with a lost person, someone who doesn't trust Jesus. It may take conversation after conversation. It may take dinner after dinner, coffee after coffee, before they finally come to a realization that they need the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We live in a microwave society where we can put something in the microwave and in 30 seconds your meal is ready. We've become very impatient in our evangelism. We want a quick salvation. We want to share the gospel quickly with someone for those of us who are even willing to do it. And I'm not saying that that's bad because, hey, if someone comes to the Lord sooner, then, they, then that's great. But the reality is that the human heart is very sinful, all of ours. Think about how you came to know the Lord. Some of you maybe heard the gospel for the first time and responded, and praise God if that's true. But for others of you, it was more like a sun rising above the horizon slowly over time. The Lord was patient with you. He guided different people into your life to speak truth to you. He used them in different ways to share the gospel with you. And over time, the Holy Spirit of God, at some point, truly got a hold of your heart and brought you to Christ. We need to be prepared for that process as we show hospitality to unbelievers. But it's so worth it. Christian author Rosaria Butterfield says this in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. She says this, 
She says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs, but all, not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. It means we provide the time necessary to build strong relationships with people who think differently than we do, as well as build strong relationships from within the family of God. Rosaria Butterfield, she knows. She knows how important showing hospitality to unbelievers is because she was one. If you're not familiar with her story, Rosaria Butterfield was, she had a PhD from Ohio State University, and she was a professor at Syracuse University. She identified as a lesbian, and she was a gay rights activist. She essentially thought that Christianity was kind of a joke. One day, a Christian couple who had responded to one of the articles or something she'd written invited her to their house for dinner. I just want to be clear what's happening there. A very kind and sweet Christian couple invited this gay rights activist who was, a, who was a college professor at Syracuse University over to their house for dinner. And they began to form a friendship with Rosaria. And over time, the Lord used that friendship and used that couple to bring her to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She is now, she now has a husband and children, and she is a Christian author and speaker. She shares that story with people to show them that what you think might be just totally impossible. There's no way. How silly of us to put limits on what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do. You see, as we seek to show hospitality to others, it's not about entertaining. It's not even really just about getting together and having fun, though that's a great bridge. But you know what this is really about? It's about showing the world what the kingdom of God is really like. It's about showing this world a glimpse of the hospitality that our God will show us in eternity. In fact, did you know that you have an invitation? If you've trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you have an invitation to a great hospitality event, to a dinner, a supper. In Revelation chapter 19, the Apostle John saw a vision of something that has not taken place yet, but one day it will. And in verses 6 through 9, he describes it this way. He said, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Do you see Do you see that every time you invite a Christian brother or a Christian sister over to your home, you are proclaiming together that we long for the table of God, that we long for peace and life and joy with Jesus forever in a place where there are no tears, where he wipes away every tear, where there is no death, where there is no suffering, hospitality from the Christian definition, points the world to the better world to come. One day God will welcome us to his table. All because Jesus sought after us when we were the lost neighbor. And look at what links Jesus went through. Look at what he sacrificed to pursue you in your lostness, in your darkness, in your mess. Thank God that Jesus didn't think that you were impossible to reach. Thank God that Jesus was willing to sacrifice his time, his life, so that he might save and welcome you into the family of God so that you can have a seat at the table because of the perfect life that he lived in your place, because of the perfect atoning death that Jesus died for your sin in your place that should have been us on the cross, because of the resurrection, sealing the truth for all eternity that God accepted Jesus' payment of sin for us, And we can live, we can live a new life following him every day through the ups and downs and the hard times, the good times. We rejoice together, we weep together because we serve a risen Savior. That is the gospel. And if you turn from your sin of self-preservation, of just serving yourself and seeing your life as all about you, when you turn from that and you trust Jesus to be everything you could never be as your true savior from your sin, to give you a home for all eternity with God, when you do that, you know what you're gonna see? You're gonna see your life transformed. You're gonna see your heart humbled and you will be willing to open up your door and say, would my friends, would you come in and let me tell you about another table? I want to close by giving you something very, very practical, just some questions to think through. Uh, Dustin Willis, in his book, Life and Community, gives some great practical questions for us, and I want to share these with you real quick. Number one, what night of the week could you commit to invite someone into your home for a meal? That could be somebody in this church family. It could be a lost person that you work with, a coworker, right, a, a friend at school. It could be anybody, anybody in your life who doesn't know the Lord. 
What night of the week? I mean, really, think through your schedule. Right? Think through your schedule. What show could you DVR, okay? What could you do to sacrifice the time and the effort to actually invite someone to your house, to your apartment, to your dorm room, and share a pizza together, whatever? Number two, do you know, do you know your neighbor's names? Now, I'm not saying that we've perfected it, but Christy and I, have, we try to, when we meet our neighbors, we try to type their names on our phones <laughs> so that we remember their names. Do you know your neighbor's names? You know a great way to meet your neighbors? Be outside. If you're in a recliner in your living room, you're probably not going to meet them. It would be weird if you did. Take a walk. Seriously, just go outside. Take a walk around the neighborhood. Take a walk around the apartment complex. Just introduce yourself to people. Just be friendly. Learn your neighbor's names. What would it take for you to learn their names and something simple about them? And that goes a long way when you remember somebody's name. Number three, what would it take for you then to offer them hospitality? How could you be hospitable to that neighbor? Number four, hospitality is a great way to provide a tangible blessing, maybe a warm meal, source of encouragement, a warm conversation to those who are broken. So who around you is hurting? And really think through these questions. Think about the opportunity that God has given each of us. It's a great thing, and I love all of us being here together to worship the Lord. But what an opportunity you have in just a few minutes when we walk out of this building and you go to your home, wherever it is, and all the people that live around you who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how can you show them hospitality? How can you share the gospel of Jesus with them?